We're in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. As we see, Paul is sending a letter to the Romans. This is about 20-some years after he's been saved, roughly, that he's writing them. And because he's the apostle to the Gentile, he has the right to consult them, to tell them things, to correct them. There is no permanent apostle in the Roman area, even if others went there. And we said they were most likely Paul's converts that led them to the Lord. And if not, it was some Jews from at the time of Pentecost. But he had no qualms about writing them and dealing with them, where usually he did not go into areas where other apostles were ministering. He did not compete with them. Years later, sometime they went into each area when the other one was not there or dead. So he had no qualms about dealing with them. He had a few things he wanted to straighten out. He'd heard of their great faith and their Christianity throughout the, he called the world, which is the Roman world. So he wants to straighten out some of their problems like he did with the Corinthians. You had some Jewish Christians and you had Gentile Christians, and they were sort of antagonizing each other. The Jews thought they were a privileged sect of Christianity, and the Gentiles thought they had it better off. And so he wants to show them the good and the bad and the advantages of both and how God looks at the matter. So they'll get straightened out and have unity and get along better. So that was one of the reasons he wanted to write them and to establish with this church what the real foundation of Christianity was, as he did with the Galatians, what true Christianity is and what it's not. And he wants to make sure that they've laid a good foundation and they're building on a good foundation. And as in all areas he went to, when he went back to some of the areas years later, he straightens out their faults and their misunderstanding of certain facts about Christianity. He establishes them. And as an apostle, he wants to go and possibly we'll see in one of the verses, he will impart certain gifts. That's his privilege and duty as an apostle to establish them more in the faith. And this later on years with Timothy, with Titus, we'll see that he had that gift, which only usually was rare, was among the apostles and the New Testament prophets. Anybody can exercise the supernatural gift that's a Christian led of the Spirit, but that does not mean they have that ministry. So the fivefold ministry, which is very offensive to many people, but you do not find ever it addressed to a woman. A woman, obviously, Joel said they would prophesy and they would speak a new tongue, but he did not allow them authority over men. So in small groups, or if they were to prophesy, they had to meet the rules. He did not let them govern. So today we have so many who call themselves pastors and co-pastors and prophetess. You do not find that 
term used in the New Testament. There were no Christian prophetess. There were Christians like Philip's four daughters who prophesied. So the office of a prophet, the office of an apostle is entirely different than some that does one of the gifts one time. So you could pray for somebody and God could heal them. That don't mean you have the gift of healing, but God may give some people a ministry of healing on certain areas. And so we have to make a distinction sometimes. Paul said, I wish all prophesied. You should pray sincerely, he says. Seek the higher gifts. So he tells the Christian to do this. And he actually says, overall, the best, the supernatural gifts is prophesying. Because you're speaking the word of God under inspiration at the moment. So your teaching or exhortation or direct word is prophecy if it's anointed. So many preachers, if they're called of God, uh, many teachers, they should at times prophesy. When they're teaching, God lifts up what they're saying and makes it the word of the Lord to that person. He illuminates them. So just studying the Bible does not enlighten a person. See, many people, they study the Bible and they think giving people tracts. That, in general, is not God's way. He's called people to minister the gospel. So when people elevate the word of God above the body of Christ, they're in trouble. And if they elevate the body of Christ beyond, it's the spirit of God who used men to write scripture. And he's still using those called to build the foundation and build Christianity. So mental law of the latter, just studying scripture, will not enlighten you a bit if your heart's not right, if you've not been inspired, if the spirit's not moving. There's a lot of intellectual Christianity, and most of those people are not saved. This is the world we live in. There are many Christians that will say, Lord, Lord, and they will have served the Lord from their human soul. They will serve the Lord from studying the Bible at the same time living in sin. He says, you're lawless. I don't know you. And yet they talked about all of these ministries of prophesying, casting out devils. He didn't even challenge whether they did them or not. He says, you're lawless, and I never knew you. You were never Christians. So that's the type of Christianity we have. Only the spirit of the Lord can enlighten and impart wisdom and knowledge. Otherwise, you've just got facts. Remember, even the knowledge of the Bible, knowledge means to know. Wisdom means to know how, to know what to do with the knowledge. And so Paul wanted us, he said, to be filled with the revelation, understanding. He prays for us. So if a Christian doesn't get that, does not progress. He can quote the Bible back and forth. As I've said before, I've known of a minister quote the whole New Testament. He can't discern it, though. He believes in once saved, always saved. He believes in a license to sin. So all of his quoting scripture ain't done him a bit of good. Someone might listen to him and be edified by the words because they're scripture and the spirit can use them. But he gets nothing. And he will be judged as a false teacher. 
See, that's the difference. So you have to have the spirit working with the word of God or the word of God is no good to the person's spirit. It will not help them. So we will have to walk in the spirit. We have to live in the spirit or the word of God cannot help us because it's the same Holy Spirit had the scripture written that is revealing it to us. So without the spirit of the Lord, it's all vain. It's wood, hay, and stubble, even to Christians. Oh, I know many in the past, they used to counsel, they can quote scripture better than I can. They do a lot of things, and they're busy and active in Christianity, but they got unforgiveness. They're proud, they're arrogant, they're unteachable. They don't like to be corrected, and yet they're pastors and teachers. Well, they're not saved, that's why. See, because you cannot stay with the Lord and live in sin. And these are sins. They're not just little flaws. Jesus, through the Apostle James, says, confess your faults one to another. Well, I've known Christians, or confessing Christians, that never confess them. You have to do it with other Christians. That's what prayer and counsel. They're too arrogant and proud. So obviously, they don't have the Spirit of Christ. They practice these things. So we can see why many people are going to say, Lord, Lord, and they're going to be surprised when he says, I don't know you. But you have to. We've done all, all these people we got saved, all these people we taught, all the stuff I gave to people and helped them. But he said, but you're lawless. It means without the law of Christ, without the moral law, you're not God. You don't belong to him. You belong to the devil, even if you don't believe he exists. You live for yourself. You do religious things because you like the attention. See, that's where a lot of them are false. It's okay for ministers and teachers and people to enjoy what they do, but some of them enjoy it too much. See, they use it to glorify themselves. We have ministers who are worth $100 million, and they're still asking people for money. Well, that should tell you something. God can prosper people, but he still regards stewardship. We, Like Paul, we learn how to do with or without an abundance or at times with nothing. But the lifestyle of people reveals what they are. See, it's not just what they talk. So we want to see it's the spirit that's going to use Paul to enlighten them, to correct them. He's going to use the office of the apostle. They lay the foundations. They build on the foundations. And we will see, as we said before, there are no apostles and prophets that write scripture. They build on it. There are, can still be apostles and prophets, but not lay in scripture. They will build. They're foundation layers. They're pioneers. That's what they're called for. They're messengers, mainly. So we go to verse 5. It's just said that Jesus was validated by the resurrection from the dead as being the perfect sacrifice, as being the Son of God in power and having no sin. He finished the will of God. The spirit of holiness raised his human spirit, his body up. That's what he did. And now he acts as high priest. He stands as God. He is the Christ who can indwell us. 
and he stands as the man mediator right now until his second coming. He was the incarnation. He was God. He is God, and he shall always be God. He was limited when he was in his human flesh and trusted completely in the Father. Now all of his glory has been returned to him, the glory of the Godhead, okay? And so we see now, through this person, Jesus Christ the Lord, he says, we have received grace and apostleship, speaking about other, he includes other apostles. The original 12 or 11 and the replacement, and by this time, there's at least 20 people referred to as apostles in the New Scripture, in the New Testament. We have Paul, or even before Paul and before the laying of the foundation, like at Pentecost, even the half-brother of Jesus, Paul calls him an apostle. See, because the Lord appeared to him. He was not of the twelve, but he was the overall administrator of the Church of Jerusalem. And Peter publicly did the most representation when he spoke to the authorities. But when he went out and ministered, if something strange was going on, he always reported back to James. He was not the Pope. It was the apostles and elders that made the decisions and had to come to unity and had to be in the same spirit. But he was called an apostle. Six of the apostles we don't hardly ever hear from, maybe historically. Doesn't mean they're any better or worse. Jesus said the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Some of the apostles that are not mentioned may be higher than Paul or Peter. It's according to their calling and their responsibilities and their obedience to the Lord. So we have to say God will judge that. Paul says, I don't judge myself for those matters. He said, I will wait for God to reveal. See, because he's the only one that knows the facts and the truths and the motives and the intents. So whom we think might be a great Christian may have barely made it into the kingdom. And a person that we've never known that we meet on the street, he may be highly ranked when he gets to heaven. What is highly esteemed among men the Lord said, is an abomination to the Lord. See, because man's wisdom is earthly and natural or even diabolical. It doesn't impress God. So some of the great ministers, I can go back and study and say, well, they, they did do a lot, but they preached some heresy too. And I have a question whether they can make it by preaching heresy. But they were famous and they were well known. But God will judge we stick with the word. I don't go by people's results or their ministry. Always stick with the word. The word and the truth is going to stand. These other things may not because God sees behind the scene. He sees the motive. He sees the intent. He sees a lot of people minister in his name like the ones he's going to reject. And they think they're doing a lot of good. And he says, you're not even mine. Okay, so we need to serve Christ and not compare ourselves with other people. There is no competition in the body of Christ. That is earthly. That's of the world. 
It's not of the Lord, okay? Spiritual, we all get from the Lord. He gifts us differently and calls us and gives a different measure. So we have no right to compare ourselves. Some are gifted better in a certain area, and we are gifted different ways, and that's what we're responsible for. We're never told to compete, and that's why the Apostle Paul corrected the Corinthians. One group would say, well, we prefer Peter, and another one, well, we like you, Paul, and he called it being earthly and childish. He says, we're all from Christ. See, he's showing that they weren't spiritual. They were still acting like the world, and they hadn't grown up. So for people to have favorite teachers, that's personality. It's the gifted people we want, gifted from the Lord, not the personality, okay? So he says, we've received grace. Remember the grace. The grace of God is not so much as people always say unmerited favor because they want to excuse their sins. That's why they use that a lot. All things that God does, we don't deserve, but if we meet certain conditions, he's obligated to help us. He rewards the wicked eventually, but he rewards the righteous. And the scripture says he's not unjust not to do this. So when people talk as if, oh, it don't matter. Yes, it does matter. You insult the Lord by refusing the rewards he gives because he is a just God. And if you place yourself in Christ and do things in his spirit, he promises to reward it. And the sinner, every idle word, he will answer the day of judgment for because of God's justice. They will get what they deserve also. So God gives grace. We have to see grace mainly not as unmerited favor for the Christian. This is why I can see so much heresy out there and false assumption. The grace that God talks about is the strength of his spirit. He gives a portion of strength for a person to do something, to endure something. So when Paul wanted the trouble, the stake of the flesh removed, and he sought the Lord three times, he said, the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient. And then he immediately says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. He's telling us what his grace is. So when people talk about grace, you can tell they're not mature Christians when all they talk about is unmerited favor. They should be talking about the strength and power that the Spirit gives them to overcome the world and to endure what we have to as a pilgrim, as a person on warfare, as a person that's running a race. That's what we need, God's grace. And so when God had the apostles often introduce and teach, they immediately say, grace and peace from God. May he give you strength and power. He's not saying to them, I give you unmerited favor. That doesn't really make sense. So it's been elevated above what it should be. God's unmerited favor, we could say, is for the wicked. When the gospel's preached, he doesn't owe them, but in one sense, he's obligated because he has love. People elevate his sovereignty and his justice as if it overrides who he is. It does not. We will see that he can exercise love and wrath to the wicked. 
with the Christian walking, he exercises discipline and punishment at times, but not wrath. He only gets wrath if he turns away from the Lord and joins the world again. So there is distinctions we will see in what the love of God is and how it works. So he says, we have been given strength and power for the apostleship. He basically did not choose it. He was called. As the prophets of old, they had no choice in the matter, either obey God or, or rebel against him. It wasn't something you voted on. So once it was given to him, he was given great ability and great grace, but he was given great responsibility and calling. And Paul says, woe unto me, a curse on me if I don't preach the gospel. He said, if I do it willingly, I get a reward. See, he recognized that. But he said, if I do it against my will, it's committed to me anyway as a stewardship. I'm a slave. I'm the master's. And that's what the cross is sometimes, doing what we don't want to do for the Lord. But we can do it in the right attitude. And the Lord, Paul is saying, if you don't, you won't get no reward, but you're still obligated to do it. So it's like giving. Paul said, God loves a cheerful giver. He expects all Christians to give of themselves, of money, of their ministries. But if they do it reluctantly, he doesn't care for it anyway. doesn't mean nothing. It doesn't excuse them, but he'd rather not have it. As in the Old Testament, gifts were not received by the priesthood if you were a practicing prostitute, someone that made your money by a wicked means that was not accepted by the Lord. Since it's an abomination of the Lord. So when the people say, Lord, Lord, at the end time, and they talk about all the good they do, it's an abomination to Christ. Since you're sinners, you're doing things for your own glory, and you're just attaching my rubber stamp to it is what you're trying to do, but it's not going to work. So he calls them to apostleship to bring about, now notice this, a lot of Paul and Calvinistic that believe Paul is strictly Calvinistic, which he's not. They talk so much of grace and faith. Paul doesn't just do that. If people will read uh, what he's really saying, he said, we are called to preach the gospel and give to make them obedient to the faith. Confession of Jesus Christ is empty and vain without repentance. That means you stop your sin. I've heard people tell me, and I've canceled. Well, I've become a Lord, but I'm still fornicating. I said, because you've not become a Christian. The Christian says you stop it. The non-believer is expected to stop the gross sins immediately when it comes to the Lord. There is no graduation. It's our flaws and imperfections that we're going to be matured. But you don't keep lying and murdering and committing adultery, then you're not a Christian. You, you've given the Lord lip service. There's no change. The gospel, according to Jesus, and the first words out of his mouth, was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When he called Paul, he said, preach repentance and Christian. He didn't just say belief. You'll find that in apostolic teaching. You don't find that in Calvinism, and once saved, always saved, because they pervert it. Regardless of how highly they are held, we are not saved by faith alone. 
James says, and they want to discard James and say, well, it don't count because he's not scripture. Because his scripture does not conform to their heresy. But he says, you're fools if you believe you can have faith without spiritual works is what he's talking about. Not the works of the law, not the Roman Catholic works and institution. He's talking about spiritual works, which is obedience and fruitfulness. So if you don't have those, you don't have. And Paul himself, we will see in Romans, clarifies. He said, because I'm under grace, shall I continue in sin? He says, don't you know who you obey? That's who your master is. He didn't say faith. He didn't say it's who you believe. And we find that Jesus had something to say about this a few times. So they were gifted to bring the people to accept Jesus as their Savior, Lord, there are no separations, and to preach the gospel among the Gentiles. So when he's talking here, he's talking about those who were with him and helping him. So through Jesus Christ, our Lord, everything that God does is that way. That's why after Pentecost, some pray, you'll see them addressing the Father, and sometimes they just address the Lord. He is returned to his glory. As we said last lesson, he is the everlasting Father. He's the Almighty. He's one. He's there with God in the beginning. He helps in the creation. So we have the Trinitarians sometimes go too far. It's actually not a scriptural word. And the Jesus-only people, they go too far. They need to come together. There's certain things about God that are stated, but are not explained. So we know that Christ is the eternal God, but he was Jesus too, as we know him as a human. Okay, and so uh, we've received grace, he said, special grace. That's what the apostle was called in a prophet. You cannot choose to be an apostle or a prophet. Old Testament, you can choose to be a teacher, a pastor, a shepherd, a deacon, if you meet the conditions. But the apostle and prophet is called differently, and he's responsible and gifted differently. So they lay the foundation. No one after the apostle John, he lived the longest. He lived, as we know it, 20, 25 years after Peter and Paul did. And we don't know about the ones that went into Africa and India. We don't know History tells us, but overall, even history says they believe John was the last one of the 12, and God kept him around. There is no foundational prophets. There were only 12 of them. There were 11, and then Judas fell by transgression, and he was replaced. He was a part of the foundation. He experienced the beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth, and that was one of the qualifications. James did not. He was a brother, and he knew all about Jesus, but he was not a disciple or a believer. Paul didn't come along until some say six to nine years later. They were greatly gifted, but their ministry was not the foundation. But they surely built on the foundation. We think Paul built on the foundation more than anybody did, okay? But he was not the 13th apostle. Okay, and so we see there are no new apostles and prophets to write scripture. That was the foundation of Christianity. 
we lay the foundations of the gospel, which is to proclaim it among the nations. So all do that, and they do that. That's their main job if they go into an area where the gospel has never been or the true gospel is not being given. So like someone said, what the need is for faith in Jesus Christ as our only Savior for mankind, and then obedience, which is not an afterthought, it's at the same time, as the necessary consequences of genuine faith. So the Lord said, why call me Lord, Lord, if you do not do what I tell you? Why? He doesn't accept you as being his. Now, we're not talking about sometimes uh, people that are ignorant and babies and novices, they ought to be corrected and instructed. But what they do is wood, hay, and stubble has no spiritual value. But a person cannot live for five and ten years and say, Lord, Lord, and not be obeying him. He got false Christianity or he's backslid against the Lord, refused to obey him. See, that's the hard gospel that people don't want. That's why most of the Christians of the world are false. And they're going to be shocked when the Lord denies them and consigns them to everlasting punishment. Okay. So we say, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Okay. He's called us. You Romans were called by the preaching of the gospel. And Paul calls them the called, the true Christian. Well, many are called, we will find. Most of where the gospel is have called, but few of them accept the gospel. They're not chosen. See, there's the difference. We'll see this if you go to Revelation chapter 17, verse 14. Now, these will war with the Lamb, and the Lamb, this is the Christ, will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So if a person is not faithful, he can talk about Jesus all day long. I've had people tell me supernatural stuff. I said, but you're false because you're not faithful to the Lord. And you're living in gross sin and you know it. So don't tell me about your godly ministry. You're not going to make it. Okay. So God, when we preach the gospel or get the gospel, we are calling. And those who respond to the call are chosen. See, it's not like this sovereign God chooses and discards. See, these are fallacies and heresies. We are the elect because we chose to listen to the call and respond the way God says. Peter says, you are the elect. And then he tells us, this is how you prove you're elected. And if you don't live this way, you're not elected. He makes it very plain. Or you forfeited your Christianity. He's also said that it's a terrible thing that they fall away. He talks about the faith, Christianity. And he says, better not to have known the truth than to depart from it. So he's saying there's a worse punishment on the backslider that dies in his sins. There's a worse punishment. And we're going to see that Paul's going to use this in teaching the Roman Christian Jews and Gentile Jews. He's going to hold the Jew very responsible. And more so, 
for their sins and failures than the Gentiles. See, because they were privileged. And see, they were trying to excuse themselves, some of them, and think they were privileged, but they weren't living up to the standard of the law. They weren't even attempting to at the covenant they were in. And so he was going to, he's going to explain to them their great error of thinking they're special, they're not. And think they're chosen and special, they're not, if they don't come to Jesus Christ. So there is no Christian fellowship of the Jews and Christians. That's a fallacy. We have no fellowship with a person that does not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. Okay? That's humanism, and that's false Christianity propagating ignorance. Jew is not saved by another gospel or another way. The ones that were chosen, they were the ones who chose to stay with him. So Paul and the apostles, they were Jewish converts. So the privileges go to them. He's not talking about the Jews of the world who've rejected Jesus Christ. They've often been under the wrath of God and will be until the Antichrist comes along. And he will destroy most of them, and a remnant will recognize who Jesus is and will be saved. And then the Lord, when he sets up the thousand-year ruling, he will establish Israel and the Jewish people first place. See, the church will not be there. And so he will deal with them. He will return to the keeping of the Sabbath to them, which we don't have to keep. He will return a lot of Jewish things and rituals during the thousand-year reign. Okay, But right now, they are enemies according to the gospel. And if any professing Christians tries to have Christian fellowship, they are in error because they're trying to do it with the devil's children, not the Lord. And we have to remember, the Word of God is very plain on these matters. He does not compromise these matters. He's not made any new rules for people. See, people don't like the Scripture. They just alter it and change it. And that's what Christianity has done. They've mixed with New Age, and most of the Roman Catholic Church is mixed with Babylonian occult teaching and all kinds of mysticism. The world calls that Christianity. Well, they're going to find out it at the Day of Judgment what's true Christianity. Okay, so I'm sending this letter to all who are beloved of God in Rome. Who are beloved? He calls them saints. Saints are not people who die and we sign, oh, we'll make them saints, and now you can pray to them. If you're praying to a dead saint, you're praying to a demon. If you're praying to Mary, you're praying to a demon because she is in heaven and she has no interest in what goes on on earth. She's enjoying her reward with the Lord. So there is no praying to anybody outside of Christ. He is the intercessor. The head of every man, Christian man, is Christ. It's not a saint. So this is another lie and fallacy that has been picked up. So we are saints. If you are truly a Christian, whether you're a baby Christian or a growing Christian or a mature Christian, you are a saint. And I hear people say, well, I'm not a saint. I say, well, then you're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. That straightens them up real quickly. See, because that concept of a saint is perverted. Okay? 
called as saints. Grace to you, God's strength to you. God give you things. And peace, he gives you peace from our Father, God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christians should have peace. You lose peace when you sin, when you disobey. Then you may not have peace. Okay, see? You may not understand. You can lose fellowship, and you can lose relationship eventually. So we need to understand Christianity is a continuance with Christ. It's a continuance in the faith. All of this one-time stuff is a lie. All of this mental confession and belief is a lie. Why most of the professing Christians believe Jesus is the Son of God, and they're going to end up in the lake of fire. Every demon knows who he is. They don't obey him, only when he commands them to do something they don't want to do, but they don't submit to him as the Lord and Savior. But they know he's the Lord and Savior. So that kind of belief doesn't get you anywhere. See, that's the kind of belief that most professing Christians have. We believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again, and we believe he's our Savior, and they do a little church work, and they, do, and they think that's sufficient. They go find out it's not sufficient. Okay, all the Christians in Rome were called saints. They're holy persons. You know, I find a lot of people claim to be Christians, they don't like people saying they're holy or good because they're of the world. See, they care what the world, oh, well, I don't want to be a holier than thou. Well, you won't make it to heaven. You better be holy and upright and righteous or you're not a Christian. Uh, let's go ahead and take a break here.